Hello everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the 40 Guard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. Today is a little bit different, but uh, once again I have my co-host Omar Lakani with me. Omar, how's life over there? Happy New Year, buddy. Uh, I, I I know we've talked, we've spoken a couple of times since uh, since the New Year, but life is good. Uh, I'm in Dallas, Texas, and we're 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 uh, we're experiencing our first uh, uh, weather apocalypse, I would say here. But it's uh, it's fun. I'm gonna survive through this, and uh, maybe maybe even get some uh, snow like dog sleds out if I want to like go to the grocery store or something. Man, I feel similar. Instead of 30 degrees, it's 20 degrees Celsius here in Singapore, which is unheard of. But um, you see people walking around with, with hats and, and gloves, even though it's still uh, it's still quite warm. I actually don't really know in, in how much this is in Fahrenheit, but it's it's still um, interesting to see how temperature drops. And all yeah, so I'm American, so like I have to get a calculator out to like do any type of conversion because uh, you know we're uh, we're unfortunately not metric. But uh, you know uh, you know the New Year. It's funny. It always brings together. I know me and you have been talking about different types of attacks. Obviously, you know last podcast. Uh, and even on the Fortigar Live, uh, you know, uh, YouTube channel, we talked about like ChatGPT and AI attacks. And I was thinking, Jonas, when you were thinking like, Matt, it would be good to like kind of take a step back and kind of hear from the experts behind the curtain, behind the scenes on what's uh, what's happening. And uh, I think you agree with me on that, right? Yeah, definitely. Also, we always had me in Singapore, you in Dallas, and we were thinking of expanding a little bit our topology and look a little bit on different kind of the world as well a uh, new region other places and uh, why don't you introduce our today's guests well it's it's my pleasure it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest and hopefully after today he'll be joining us at least on a few podcasts to talk about uh different subjects but uh, i want to introduce uh my good friend uh my mentor the guy that taught me everything about like you know uh doing uh coloring on my beard and stuff like that because he has so much white on this beard. Uh, Glenn, uh, Glenn Maiden. Glenn, how you doing, buddy? G'day, Omar. G'day, Jonas. It's uh, great to be here and uh, uh, forming the, the the final sort of angle in the triangle from uh, from down under in Australia. So it's uh, great to be part of uh, great to be part of this podcast. And hopefully, we'll be more three musketeers than three stooges today. Man, I'm I'm jealous of you guys. We got Jonas with his like nice, uh, you know, uh, Swiss accent. You with your Australian accent, and I, I'm a mud here, man. With like. Uh, like a, a little bit all over the place, but man, glad. first of all, uh, <laughs> uh, good to you know. Glad I'm glad you got to join us. I mean, join us on the podcast. Um, so before we get started, uh, Glenn, why don't you just tell people like what do you do? What what is your role at Fortinet at uh, Fortigard Labs? Yeah, no, thank you. So I guess I'm the Australian version of Jonas. So I work uh, obviously to Derek Menke in Fortigard Labs in what we call the Strike Team. And we're sort of uh, where we've got sort of uh, that anchor in North America of some of the best threat researchers and analysts and um, uh, systems people in the entire world, data scientists, you name it. Um, there's us, I guess, sort of, you know, looking out with our customers and with our partners and with the certs and not-for-profits and governments all across the region to try and expand the reach of the the power of FortiGuard, uh, of FortiGuard Labs. So one of the greatest things that I get to do is work with customers down here in Australia. So whether it's our uh, national certs or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, certs in the banking industry or whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the security operations center in some of our tel telecommunications providers, I work with with some of these um, some of these top end of business to try and sort of share threat information bilaterally that, uh, you know, A, it, uh, it really makes our 
threat systems, uh, you know, more informed and the intelligence sort of, you know, deeper, but also pushing that out to our customers. So making them a little bit more, uh, a little bit more resilient towards some of the uh, upcoming and, and current cyber threats. So yeah, I love, I love working with, uh, with Fortigard Labs and guys like yourselves in, uh, in, in such a sort of bleeding edge area. Yeah, so Glenn, I'm I'm actually not gonna let you off that easy, right? That's that's a great answer, but I know you're not in sales. You said you're working with customers. You're working. Oh, that website dropped something, but that's okay. I know you're not in sales, but uh, you're you're uh, you're working with customers. Uh, you're working with certs. What I mean, I know you're part of the Fortigar Labs research team, right? And uh, you know we, we're R and D. What does that mean for you? Like, what what do you actually do, like uh, for a living? Like, what's your day job like? Yeah, look, I'd like to think. Um... I guess we'll talk a little bit about my background before in sort of uh, you know defence and national security. I guess we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. But the thing that I really, really love doing the most is sort of sitting back and uh, thinking about the so what. So in terms of sort of you know really bleeding edge research, you know I, I'm I'm really not doing that. I'm relying on you know people like yourself, people like Jonas, and uh, you know our uh, our research team to go through and look at the, you know, the latest indicators of compromise, looking at the latest uh, tactics, techniques and procedures. I like to then go through and then sort of look uh, at that sort of maybe at a more of a macro level and see what does this mean? So with, you know, if we're seeing that a trend in ransomware or we're seeing a trend in nation state behavior, what does that actually mean for our customers and our partners here in Australia? And how can we respond to make sure they'll be more resilient against some of these emergent threats? That's the bit that I really, really like. And you know, then when you start to link that to um, uh, you know, some of the strategic geopolitics in the region, especially a region that's under considerable, I guess, considerable change uh, like mine, that's when we really need to start thinking about what does uh, things like cyber war mean for Australia's critical infrastructure. That's what really, really inspires me. Definitely a super interesting topic, which you, which you just mentioned here. But also what I would be very curious to hear a little bit more on is how would you say your work now differentiates from your time previously working for a vendor? You have been in defense for a super long time. You gained experience in the intelligence departments all across Australia and in different kind of industries. What would you say is the biggest difference from now to then? Well, look, I think um, you guys are uh, uh, hitting me with some of these really, really tough questions really early. So thanks a lot for that, gentlemen. But, <laughs> but look, in, in some cases, I think it's a little bit of, um, I guess, sort of, you know, aggregated experiences over, you know, 25 odd years. So, you know, I started out uh, and I know Amara and Jonas, we spoke about this before, but I started out in the 90s in, in defense, uh, essentially testing products to make sure that they were suitable to go onto army networks. So, you know, whether it was a, a printer or a laptop or a, you know, back in the day, a Sun Solaris server, I went through and wrote technical specifications or, you know, or a router, or, you know, a, whatever, or a switch, you name it. You know, were these things actually suitable for defense networks? So, um, looking at you know some of the operating systems of the time, looking at some of the uh, you know networking technologies of the time, leading all the way up to now, it sort of gave me a really really good handle, at least in my belief, on sort of you know how to put together a network and how to to build a, a network and a system. So I then went into sort of uh, you know the intelligence world, um, looking at sort of you know how people sort of do, uh, how people like infiltrate or uh, compromise sort of the system. So you know I think having that knowledge in the very very first hand about you know how a system's put together. I think in some ways that's actually really, really beneficial to know to how to uh, pull it apart and break into it. So that sort of set me in good stead or um, you know, to, to move sort of, I guess a little bit into that red team sort of space. 
But the final sort of nail in my coffin was going from out of uh, the national security environment and defence to our Australian Taxation Office, our equivalent of the IRS. And that was a wake-up call because that was not an organisation where cybersecurity was its core business. You know, that was an organisation where collecting and processing taxation information was its core business. So, you know, as the IT security advisor there, I had a massive... Um, a massive lesson to learn about balancing cyber risk and business priorities. And it wasn't always the case where we could potentially take down a business system, you know, to patch it against, um, you know, an emerging threat or something like that. So I think, um, you know, all these different conflicting priorities, or conflicting priorities, conflicting uh, ways of doing business, I guess it led me to where I am now, where, you know, you have to have a conversation that's not just at the systems engineers level or not it's not just that at the programming level it has to be the whole of the business to make sure that you know it's a massive orchestrated synchronized sort of response to what is a very very complicated threat i'm not sure if that's the best uh, answer it's certainly a very long-winded answer your question no no it, it's it's super interesting because some things really resonate with with well with me what you just said i think taking in the, the risk into a certain approach of uh, how big is your risk appetite? Do you want to deal with it yourself? Do you want to um, give it over to, to someone else? Is, is something which we see different parties having different kind of strategies. And what, what always fascinates me is talking with both of you guys, because we are in different regions, we have different kind of customers, and it's always interesting to, sh to share what kind of strategies are out there and then compare a little bit because sometimes it of course there are political topics involved but also sometimes it's more geographical topics involved and um and, and the more how you how would you compare what glenn just said with with for example north america what what you're dealing most of the time with yeah you, you know it's it's interesting you know you know before before we get into that like glenn i have to ask you and and jonas this this is like I, I, I'm going to ask you both this question because like when, when I heard you, it's almost opposite a little bit of Jonas, like how you, how you kind of approach things or how you got into this industry, because I think Jonas, you, you got the guy and got into this industry as a security guy, as, as a guy to basically uh, help people defend their networks, understand risk, understand like cyber attacks and cyber crime. And uh, Glenn, it sounds like, dude, you you were uh, you were working with like token ring and uh, coax cables and I'm not sure what, what else, right? And, I, I kind of like, you know, you know, was on the back end of that. Like, you know, I was doing like, uh, I remember doing like uh, wide area networks and, uh, you know, different things like uh, putting in, uh, you know, voice over IP systems and a whole bunch of different things. And I do find there's a, there's a difference in, um, you know, approach on how people attack problems. And I guess from both of you guys, like you guys probably run into like, uh, Glenn, you probably run into the guys, uh, you know, uh, that, that have just have a security experience coming first and, you know, from a. Uh, you, you know, from all the customers you're dealing with and Jonas, I'm sure you're dealing with some of these guys that are very old school that said, no, we used to do it this way. I'm just kind of wondering, and, and not only does your region make a difference, your ge geo region makes a difference, but um, I mean, is there, is there like, what do you think about the approach and does it cause you guys pain to deal with the other side uh, of uh, people like using that other side approach? Do you want me to go first, Jonas, or are you? So sure, sure, go ahead. I'll just, uh, I'll reminisce, you talked about Token Ring, I'll reminisce about the most ancient system that, that I had to deal with. It was Windows 311, it was a defense de decision support system where, you know, there's a whole bunch of laptops that'd be put in front of the seniors. This was back in the 90s. And, you know, basically, you know, if you're having a big uh, council of war, you know, yes, no, um, I agree, I disagree, that sort of thing. But it was, 
uh, token, it was a token ring network, Windows 3.1, BNC connectors, and it was laptops, so it was a PCMCIA slot, which most people wouldn't even know by now, but... um, yeah, like all these, all these, all these technologies come and go, but I think a lot of the concepts sort of, sort of, sort of stay. And like again, I'm probably showing my age more than than the new young um, uh, spring chickens now. But um, you know, back when I went to uh, the back, 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 back in my day, there was no cyber security, um, uh, you know, courses. There was no such thing. So I remember doing a, a combined cyber security subject with uh, crypto subject back in uh, in the zero zeros in, uh, as part of a masters. And um, you know, cyber security was almost an, an afterthought sort of thing. So you know, you just did it as a little because of because the actual lecturer in um, in crypto was had a, had a side interest in cyber. So yeah, so it's only been the last sort of, I guess, sort of you know, fifteen years or so where you can actually sort of study this stuff properly here at, um, at university. Yeah, for for, for me, it's um, obviously uh, I, I look up to both of you because uh, you're like both my mentors. But from an age point of view, I started much, much later. So when I started, everything was like technology-wise um, quite established. And fortunately, probably fortunately for, for the industry now, but also fortunately for me, when I entered secure, the security environment, the security industry, we kind of passed this point where everyone was like, oh no, security is so annoying. You just add multiple obstacles and no one wants to deal with it. it there was really people started to understand that it really is a necessity because if you don't protect yourself accordingly, it's something which will backfire quite tremendously. I, I remember one of the first months I had uh, started when I started in Fortinet, that was uh, when WannaCry broke, broke out. So that definitely accelerated all of the the mindsets for a lot of people out there who are not that deep into security by them already. And before that, I was more focusing on like offensive security. So I would come a little bit from more from a technical side, which I think really helps me now in, in my day job, because I think on the business side, it's it's definitely very different than on the technology that on the when you talk with tech guys, because tech guys, they always um, see things a little bit different than the business guys. But if you understand the, what you're actually capable of, if you can carry out these hacking attacks yourself, you look at some of the business risks a little bit differently than if you would just come from the business side. Yeah, no, you know, you know, Jonas, I, I totally, I totally agree with you on both of that. You know, you asked me just earlier, like, you know, how, what do I see different, different in, in North America and in, in North America, I would say it definitely started off as security kind of being a, uh, you know, very few people understood security or why to do security and security for the most part was putting in a firewall, right? No one really thought about anything else. Um, you know, with, um, you know, with Sarbanes-Oxley, SOX and some of the other compliance things that, that really started changing like a number of years ago. And we got into this, uh, kind of phase where, uh, you know, audits were going crazy. People were spending so much uh, money on, the, uh, you know, compliance and audits and, and paperwork and realizing that really didn't have an effect of getting anyone secure. And I, and I think we're kind of seeing a third phase now, uh, in North America where, uh, people are taking security seriously from all different parts of the business from the different organizations, um, you know, how seriously they take it probably depends on the maturity of uh, the organization as well as the individual, as well as uh, the business risk, right? And, and and the industry they're in, probably the same is true for all of us. But but, I, but I'm seeing this kind of new, um, I would say, um, uh, evolution of security and how, uh, you know, companies and organizations are, uh, are handling security. Now, obviously there are companies out here in the U S that, you know, really don't think about the political environment at all, unless they have to, they're like, 
hey, this is my industry. This is all I have to think about unless an attack happens. And uh, there are organizations, um, as you can imagine, that are very much uh, concerned about the political environment and what that means from a cyber attack standpoint, because they're, they're as we say, in the thick of it, uh, in the uh, thick of things. And uh, and it's, uh, it's part of their business risk. So I think that's uh, at least some of the things that I'm seeing here in the U.S. Yeah, I think that's one thing which keeps me really excited and busy here in Asia Pacific, because you have such a big spectrum from very very um, well-developed, like if you talk about Singapore, Hong Kong, Korea, Japan, it's like all cutting-edge technology. It's like always at the forefront of technology. But then you have also other places which are, I wouldn't say like lagging behind, but development isn't definitely not where the, the other countries are. And you see things coming in waves. So I quite often feel certain kind of attacks, which you see in, in certain countries which are more developed, are slowly picking up in, in other countries which are trying to catch up. For example, in some countries, phishing attacks with SMS messages are much more common, where governments now are um, helping out their, their citizens with, um, with certain steps like making, you, you cannot buy a SIM card anymore without proper identification. So you could probably feel there's a certain trend towards phishing attacks, which are more via Telegram, for example, or Discord groups, which I see more common in places uh, which are more developed. And it's it's quite interesting because in, in the end, you can sit onto a plane and you reach all of these places in like five or six hours. But the difference how developed they are, not just from a, from a, in, in general, but also in securities is quite significant. Actually, it was funny, Jonas. Um, and I'm, I reckon, Amar, that um, the US might be the same. We did a study a few years back into the um, cyber maturity across Australia and sort of, you know, the east coast of Australia, Brisbane, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, was, you know, basically, you know, number one, best in the world, very, very mature. Um, but then as you sort of went west and north, you know, to where, you know, really, really large geographic distances where there wasn't even, you know, really, really good telecommunications infrastructure, the, the level of maturity sort of dipped pretty significantly. So, yeah, even a country which you'd consider Australia to be reasonably mature, or, you know, I think it's probably a little bit murky underneath the, underneath the facade. Yeah, you know, I'm not surprised. Like, even in the U.S., people, you know, a lot of times when I, when I talk to a lot of my friends, uh, you know, overseas, they think of the U.S. as like, you know, New York, Texas, and California, right? But uh, it's a it's a pretty vast, uh, you know, uh, geographic region with a lot of different culture between that region as well. And I think that definitely, uh, you know, gets uh, established into uh, businesses and cybersecurity. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we if we if we saw the same thing. Um, you you know, uh, Glenn, I was going to ask you. Um, you know, it sounds like just from your description, and it sounds like a lot of things you're working on is is OT security. And from my mind, that's always interesting because, um, you, you know, I, I feel like OT security has been so um, so immature from, uh, you know, organization time on that, even acknowledging that, that it needs uh, sometimes a different approach. And uh, I just wanted to see what you see in Australia because, you know, you know I know like some of Australia's background and, uh, you know, I know there it's, it's a really big OT environment in general. So just kind of wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, we, I don't know whether you call us I think our government has recognized that we actually have some significant gaps in uh, some of our really, really critical OT systems. And I think probably like, I mean, I imagine Singapore and the US would have been exactly the same, but you know, when we were locked down with COVID, we sort of all probably saw in a few instances just how fragile sort of some of our supply chains and um, our, our other value chains were to, you know, a shock in any one sort of component of that, of that chain. So. 
Now, from an Australian perspective, we drafted some critical infrastructure legislation, and I'm, I'm sort of I'm, uh, conflating critical infrastructure and OT, uh, Omar, so you know, just keep that in mind when I'm answering. But um, uh, we, we drafted some critical infrastructure legislation a few years ago, and it was mainly around sort of, you know, uh, electricity and ports and that sort of thing, just making sure that they are on a, a register with our Home Affairs Office, our, our equivalent of your um, Department of Homeland Security. Um, that's been just as of sort of last year. That's actually been uh, wound up to eleven. So you know now, pretty much, you know, all those industries, whether it's sort of you know uh, retail, or whether it's transport, or whether it's uh, you know an electricity pr producer or an electricity distributor, or whether it's defence or defence industry, all these industries now have just had all this um, additional legislation imposed on them where they have to actually uh, up their security resilience significantly. Whereas before, as you can imagine, whether it was a SCADA, some old ICS system sitting somewhere only connected by a radio or something like that, you know, all these systems that are now potentially reachable by uh, via, uh, digital TCPLP or whatever the case may be, uh, the reach of the, whether it's a nation state or whether it's a uh, cyber criminal is, is obviously causing people to sort of sit back and have a bit of a, uh, you know, a choke, well, as we say down here, choke on their cornflakes. So, um, uh, I, I don't think we've, to answer your question, I don't think that we've come anywhere near um, um, securing our OT or our critical infrastructure. I think we're probably still at that, you know, uh, problem definition stage, but at least we do sort of have at least a, you know, a baseline understanding of what we need to do. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a similar issue for a lot of uh, very developed countries as well that it's it's also not as easy as it usually sounds on paper right there's so many more topics to consider especially when you talk about critical infrastructure but uh, it's good to see that the people are taking it very seriously and they are aware about the impacts which are there and uh, oh, was one of the first Jonas uh, Singapore was one of the first countries to uh, to draft up critical infrastructure legislation it was very very um, very very well on the front foot there yeah, uh, they do a fantastic job here. It's also fascinating to see how much of critical infrastructure here um, affects daily life, right? All the the, the water gathering places, how, how it's um, refined so you can uh, drink it from the tap very well and how much critical infrastructure is actually around in our daily lives. If you start to pay attention to that, you start to realize how dependent we are on these kind of systems. So, so I'm glad I'm... So I was just going to say, when it, what, I, what I liked about it in the early days, sorry for interrupting, was just, it was really uh, realistic. So even, uh, you know, where it wasn't just a, you know, esoteric paper-based exercise as well. Well, you know, they knew, the Singaporeans knew just how important things like tourism was to um, uh, to their economy. So that was sort of considered. So yeah, it was a really insightful piece of um, pictures, piece of legislation. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt. And no worries, no worries. Yeah, I remember we had some of these uh, conversations back during the Formula One event. Uh, I was finally able to see you after like many, many years in, in, in lockdown. But I'm so, so glad as well that we could do this podcast all together with us. Uh, we still have uh, some region. We have people in, in other regions as well, like Europe and Latin America, which we can hopefully chime in in the future to these podcast series. But thanks so much for joining us today, giving us some insights about the other part of the world, which which we don't hear too much uh, from in, um, in, in the in the other hemisphere. So thanks so much for joining here. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Was it the three musketeers or the, uh, uh, or, or was it, uh, the three stooges? How did, how did I go? I think we could pass for either one. So, uh, we'll be <laughs>
you, you know what? I'm just going to send the recording to our the marketing team and let them pick the title <laughs> of the podcast. So, so let's see how, what, what their judgment is. But, but anyway, guys, thanks so much for joining and uh, we talk soon. Bye-bye.